Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. And today I, I want to talk uh, about the nature of authentic worship. Uh, both to challenge us, to stretch us, to encourage us. Because I think when we look at clips like that, uh, the church in the West, we, A, have a lot to be incredibly thankful for. But B, we're going to do some soul searching. Because too often the church in the West makes its worship a very, very subjective thing. And we need to guard with all that we can. We need to guard ourselves against subjective worship. What do I mean by subjective worship? We've got into the habit of worshipping God's person, sorry, worshipping God's performance, not worshipping God's person. I'll say it again. We've gotten into the habit of worshipping God's performance, not worshipping God's person. Can I challenge you today that if you feel you're in a position right now where you cannot worship God because of a situation that's going on in your life, then you're actually worshipping the problem. And I want to encourage you this morning to change the way and to change perhaps your response to how we worship God. We often say in church, God is, God is good and the response is all the time. Uh, I add to that, God is good all the time, not just when we're having a good time. And too often our response to God is, well, if I've had a great week this week, if God's been good to me and if he's, if he's lived up to my expectations, then I'll be the first one to church. I'll stand down the front. I'll raise my hands higher than anybody else and raise my voice louder than anybody else. But if I've had a really bad week and things have caught me off guard and I didn't see that one coming, God, and you, you're feeling a bit sorry for yourself and you arrive late, you stand down the back with your hands in your pockets and you think, I'm not singing for anybody. And we're worshipping God's performance, not God's person. Friends, I want to dig into God's Word just a little bit this morning to help us realise the most amazing worship happened in the Bible in the most difficult of circumstances. All we're going to do is look at Job. And here's how the Bible introduces Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So here is this man described as being faithful, being upright. He is devout, so committed to God. And in the space of 24 hours, his whole world just came absolutely crashing down. 
Job 1 and 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. I don't know what a bad day looks like for you, but that's a bad day. And what was Job's response? At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job's response to the worst day in his life was not to stand with a bad attitude in the corner like a spoilt little child and get angry at God. But it's also interesting to note that his, worse, his worship response was not a false expression of praise. He didn't plaster on a smile and raise his hands and pretend like nothing was wrong. And friends, it's okay to wrestle with God. The Bible teaches us that very clearly. It's okay to be honest with God and say, God, I don't know what's going on right now. It's okay to be honest with God and say, God, I'm hurting right now. Never ever suppress the very real emotions that we have to contend with because God knows exactly what you're going through. And he's okay with that. I think I said recently, you know, a third of the Psalms, which we love because they're filled with great praise and worship, but a third of the Psalms are laments. Third of the Psalms are, God, where are you in this? God, I don't know what's going on. God, I'm not sure. But then David, who writes many of those laments, also reassures himself that God's proved faithful in the, in the past. I don't know what's going on right now, but God is faithful right now and he'll be faithful in my future. So it's okay to be honest with God. And that's exactly what Job does. Worst day of his life. He tears his robe, he shaves his head, which culturally are public expressions of grief and mourning. And then he falls to the ground in worship. And he says, naked I come from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And we have this beautiful footnote in verse 22. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Wow. One of my favorite Old Testament stories 
we find in Second Chronicles, and the worship team's probably sick of me telling this story, but I love it. And it's the story of a king in Israel's history, in fact, the king of Judah, a guy named Jehoshaphat. And at this point in their history, they are surrounded by three nations that conspire against the nation of Israel, Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir. In the natural, this is a totally unwinnable war. But King Jehoshaphat is an incredibly godly king and I think he is an amazing leader because he calls the people together at Jerusalem and he stands up in front of them and this is what he says. 2 Chronicles 20 and 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What an incredible leader to stand up in front of his people and say, I don't know what to do. To stand up and say, we actually don't have the power to go against this army. I don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon God. And then a prophet speaks up in the camp and we've already sung these exact words this morning. And the prophet says in verse 15, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle belongs to the Lord. How cool is that? But then God gives to Jehoshaphat this really unusual military strategy that makes zero sense. Going into a battle that could not be won in the natural. God says, Jehoshaphat, I want you to think about this battle very, very differently. And I'm going to give you a battle strategy that uh, you've never employed before. And I want the front lines of your battle not to be made up of your most skilled, strongest, bravest, uh, experienced fighting men. No, I want you to do it totally differently. I don't want you to go into this battle with a display of military power. Let's read what the strategy was. Second Chronicles 20 and 21. After consulting the people... Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Wow. God says, Front lines of your army is the worship team. Who wants to be on the worship roster that day? How did it happen? Verse 23, the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And I want you to get a hold of this this morning because you and I have a very real enemy. And there is a spiritual principle that we draw out of this that must be a daily principle for us. Worship Set the enemy into confusion. 
And you might be facing a battle in your life right now. Jehoshaphat is going into nightmare scenario. You might be facing a nightmare scenario right now. We've got to understand in a spiritual battle, the thing we need not to do is withdraw from worship because we think, well, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where you are, so I can't worship. Instead, realizing, no, in worshiping God, I'm sending the very enemy that is attacking me into confusion. And worship is not a response to God's performance. Worship is acknowledging God for who He is that says, God, no matter what I'm facing right now, no matter what nightmare scenario I might be walking into right now, you are bigger than this. And we draw the attention away from the battle, away from the circumstance, away from the situation. And we draw the attention to God who is bigger than it all. And we say, God is good and His love endures forever. Yeah, come on, give God a round of applause. It's a great story. You know what it is? It's worship that is uninspired. It is simply worshipping God for who He is. It's worshipping God for no reason. I mean, really. There's nothing you can draw from those circumstances that will actually make you feel singing a song like that. The very first reference to worship in the Bible where the word worship is used is also in a really unusual circumstance. It is the single greatest test of Abraham's life. Genesis 22 and 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. My goodness, when you understand the context of what God is asking Abraham to do, to say that it would have brought confusion with Abraham is a huge understatement. Because every promise that God had ever made to Abraham was wrapped up in his son Isaac. Because God had promised to Abraham in his old age, Abraham, I will give you a son. From that son will come a nation. That nation will bless the world. And from that son will be the seed of the Messiah, Jesus. All of that is wrapped up in Isaac. And now God's but to take your son. You are to take the one who makes everything that I have promised you possible. You are to take your son, the only one, through whom the promises I have made to you can be fulfilled and offer him as a sacrifice. Imagine the pain, the confusion in Abraham, thinking, God, you've made a whole bunch of promises to me. Uh, and this just doesn't make sense. But I'm going to follow in obedience. That is amazing. It is remarkable. I'm going to follow in obedience knowing that if I follow through and actually do now what God is telling me to do, then everything God has promised me is all going to amount to nothing at all. But Abraham's faith, friends, it says this. Although this just does not make sense right now, 
I'm going to obey. Genesis 22 and 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. When Abraham says we're going to go over there and worship, he didn't mean we're going to go over there and I'm going to pull out my guitar and we're going to sing it's a happy day and I thank God for the weather. He was going to pull out a knife and sacrifice his son in obedience to the command of God. And in that moment, Abraham will have been painfully aware that the nature of authentic worship is about obedience. It's all about recognizing the sovereignty of God, that my response to God is to worship Him for who He is, even if I might not understand what God is doing right now, right at this particular moment. And Abraham's faith in the promises of God says, well, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to play out. I am going to go up that mountain fully intending to do what God has asked me to do. And I don't know how this is going to work out, but God has promised me that through this son will come a nation. And the story worked out okay. And I want to suggest that every time that kind of worship happens, every time the sort of worship that we just witnessed in that clip happens, it gets God's attention. God broke through in a battlefield with Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God broke through when Paul and Silas, bound in chains in the inner cell, arrested, probably in fear of their lives, and at midnight they're singing psalms and hymns. Again, nothing in that environment that would make you even begin to feel like worshipping God. And yet that's exactly what they did. We don't know how this is going to play out, but God, we trust you. We worship you. And when that kind of worship happens, I think God is there and he's looking down. He's gathering his angels and saying, guys, come and have a look at this. This is amazing. This is the way you worship me. Look at this. And you know what? I think we need to get involved. I think we need to show up. And it's the highest and it is the purest form of worship. And as the team comes back this morning, I'll tell you a little story by way of contrast. Because there was a time in Israel's history when they were in Babylonian captivity, taken prisoners and taken to a foreign land. And they're waiting it out in this foreign land, under enemy rule, totally captive. And in Psalm 137 and 1, we read these words, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. 
There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And their response, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And I reckon that would have broken the heart of God. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a strange land? Friends, you might be in a strange land today. You might be going through a trial. You might be facing difficulties. You've got to know God understands that. He knows that. He knows exactly what you're going through. So know God understands. I think what God might not understand so much is why we can't worship Him in that strange place. Because it is learning to worship God in a strange place that I believe is the key to victory and breakthrough. That I worship God in, in spite of my circumstances. I worship God for who He is. I don't worship God's performance. I worship God's person. And as I was putting those clips together this week, I was so incredibly challenged just to the core of my being about the fact that so often the Western context of our worship is so us-focused. It's all about me. And I too can be so guilty of worshipping God's performance instead of worshipping God for who He is, no matter what's going on. Friends, if you're in a strange place, let me encourage you, the place may be strange, but God is the same. And if we can learn to worship Him just the same, no matter how strange the place, I fully believe God will break through into your circumstances. Amen? Because again, the basis of our worship is not about how we feel. It's about who God is. And I ask you, as I've asked myself this week, to examine our hearts and say, God, is my worship of you the real deal? Is it authentic? Because I'm so incredibly humbled when I look at that clip and see the basis of worship for those who are living under great persecution, the basis of worship for those who are worshipping in spite of it, even perhaps costing their lives. Because when our worship is subjective, it's really easy to wake up in a terrible season and our default response is, woe is me. And we need to change that default response that no matter what is going on, that we wake up every day and go, the Lord is good and His love endures forever. That's the basis of victory. And may that be our default every day, waking up just, God, you're faithful, you're good, your love endures forever. And friends, we need to be a people who truly know what it is to worship God 
simply because He is God. Amen. Father, challenging message this morning. Ah, So sobering as we look at our own context in the light of that clip. And we realize what is going on in the world today. Forgive us for the subjectivity of our worship. Father, may we be people that no matter what we're going through, we are consistent in our worship of you because of who you are. That we would wake up every day and go, the Lord is good and His love endures forever. And may that be the seed of breakthrough. May that set the tone of every day, no matter what it is that we face any given day. And Father, I don't mean it at all today to make light of the pain of people's lives and circumstances. But what I want to do in the light of those circumstances is to elevate you, magnify you, glorify you. Because you want to break through. As you have done and as you continue to do in the most impossible of circumstances. Father, may we be a people who authentically worship you. Because our worship is all about you. Our worship is focused on you. Continue to challenge us and continue to shape us to be a people of authentic worship, I pray. For your glory and for our benefit. In Jesus' name. Amen.